0: Chapters fifteen and sixteen of When Shadows Die by E. D. E. and Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter fifteen. Leonidas. What do you think of this case of young Bayard? Inquired the Earl as the two gentlemen drove back to the hotel. I cannot think. I have never in my life felt so amazed, so confused, and so uncertain. The sudden meeting of Anglesea. Stukely, my dear friend, Stukely interrupted the earl. Stukely, then, the man we have known as Anglesea and now known as the blockade-runner, slaver, and pirate, has demoralized my mental faculties,' exclaimed Force. "'Do you believe Bayard to be a voluntary confederate of the pirate?' "'No, no, if you put the question in that way, I say no. I do not believe it.' "'The young man was a protege of yours, I have heard.' Yes. Yet you do not know his parentage, or what traits of character he may have inherited, which may have been kept down by circumstances, and only wanted opportunity to spring into life and activity. I have known Roland from boyhood, I have watched over him as over a dear son, and I have never seen a low, base, or false trait in his character. His words, his deeds, and his thoughts, so far as I could read them, have always been pure and true and high. I cannot think of him in any other light than that of my long knowledge of him. I said from his boyhood. I meant from his babyhood. I hope the young fellow's character may be vindicated, but his case looks very bad just at present. I hope much from his old captain's interview with him. Roland may be able to explain his position to our satisfaction. I shall wait anxiously for news from the captain. Or Lee may be able to throw some light upon the subject he may be able to tell us why Roland was brought home as a prisoner, instead of as a rescued man. We must wait for more light, Underby. Yes. In the meantime, shall you tell the poor little girl the truth of Bayard's position? Is it necessary that she should be told, just at this point, when we know so little, and that little is so, perhaps, needlessly alarming? No, I think not. I will not tell Rosemary that he is a prisoner." I must tell her only that he is alive and well, and that he will come to see us as soon as he can. Here we are at the hotel, and thank heaven we have good news for Odalite. Our darling is free, absolutely free, and may marry her faithful betrothed to-morrow, if she pleases, said Abel Force, as he alighted from the carriage, followed by the earl. They went upstairs together and entered the parlor, where they found Mrs. Force and the four young girls anxiously awaiting them. "'Did you find Lee?' eagerly inquired Mrs. Force. "'Oh, did you find Roland?' breathed Rosemary, clasping her hands. Odalite, Wynnette, and Elva looked all the interest they did not put into words. "'No, my dears, we did not find Lee, but we heard of him. He and Roland are both in the city, and both alive and well, and both will come to see us, as soon after they shall have found out that we are in Washington, as they possibly can,' said Mr. Force, throwing himself into a chair." "'Where are they now, Papa, besides being in the city, which is a place of magnificent distances, you know?' inquired Wynnette. "'My dear, Lee is everywhere except here. Lee is ubiquitous. He is a will-of-the-wisp. We have spent the day in following him about. He was on his ship, but when we got there he was gone to the Navy Department, and when we reached there he was off to the office of the Commissioner of Prisoners. When we arrived at the last-mentioned place, he was gone back to the Navy Department.' so we came here to report and get a little rest and refreshments, and then we are going down to the Navy Yard to board the Argent, and wait there until we see him. He is sure to turn up on the Argent, well, sooner or later, as he is in command. "'And Roland?' softly murmured Rosemary. "'Roland, my dear, is alive and well, but he does not know where you are any more than Lee does. We must find Lee, and let him know that we are here,' said Mr. Force." Then, with a total change of manner, he began. "'Come here, Odalite, my dear, and sit beside me. I have such good news for you, as shall give you patience to wait for Lee, if he does not come here for a week, but such news that, if he knew it, would bring him within an hour.' Full of vague expectancy, Odalite came and threw herself down on the sofa beside her father, and looked up into his eyes. "'My dear Odalite, what would be the very best news that you could hear to-day?' he inquired. Odalite gazed into his eyes, too much excited to speak, fearing indeed to speak lest his next words should disappoint her raised hopes. While Mrs. Force and every occupant of the room, except the earl, waited breathlessly, oh, tell me, papa, tell me what you have to tell, pleaded Odalite. Tell me first what would be the best news you could possibly hear to-day, persisted Abel Force. His daughter gazed into his face while her color went and came, came and went but she did not speak. "'Well, Odalite,' he inquired. "'Father,' she answered gravely, "'the best news that I could hear, that any of us could hear to-day, would be that the war was ended, the country at peace, and the North and South friends again.' "'A conscientious reply, my dear, that would certainly be the best news that any of us could hear, but it is not the news that I have to tell, my love. Try again. My news is of a private nature, and concerned yourself.' "'What would be the best news that you could hear concerning yourself?' persisted the squire. "'That I were free.' The words came in a tone of impassioned aspiration that spoke volumes of the suffering the girl had endured under the incubus that darkened and oppressed her life. "'Then, my dear, hear it,' said the squire, earnestly. "'Odalite, you are free. "'Father!' The cry came from her soul, and it was echoed by her sisters and her friend. "'Abel,' this was from his wife.' "'Yes, my dears, it is true,' replied the squire. "'Odolite is free.' "'Anglesia is dead, then? Our terrible enemy is dead?' exclaimed Elfrida Force, with a sigh of infinite relief. "'No, my dears, Anglesia is not dead, I thank heaven. Long may that gallant soldier and true gentleman live to enrich humanity. But your enemy is dead to you, Odolite. You are free, my child, as free as either of your sisters.' and you have always been free, my dearest dear, although I did not know it until to-day. What is the meaning of all this? demanded Elfrida Force, in a voice of doubt and pain. Tell your sister, Enderby. Tell them all, and all about it. I cannot. I am not equal to the task. I should talk like a fool, said the squire, drawing his handkerchief from his pocket and wiping his brows. Thus adjured, the earl looked around on the group of eager listeners, and said, addressing Mrs. Force, "'You may remember, Elfrida, how amazed and incredulous I was when you told me of the disgraceful career of one whom you called by the name of my nearest and dearest friend, Angus Anglesia.' "'Yes, yes,' eagerly exclaimed the lady. "'And with good reason was I thus amazed and incredulous. To think a gentleman of purest honor, in one hemisphere, should become an unmitigated scoundrel in another, was simply impossible. I did not, and could not, comprehend the enigma, and I did not try.' "'But sometimes you nearly lost your temper with us,' put in Mrs. Force. "'I did, because I thought you ought to have known my brother officer "'better than to have believed him guilty of all the crimes of which he was accused. "'Elfrida, I had forgotten one matter that might have cleared up the mystery at once, "'and that matter was the existence of Bern Stookley.' "'Bern Stookley? Who was he?' inquired Mrs. Force. "'He was the man who, under the name of Angus Anglesia, tried to marry your daughter,' but failed so signally that he has not even the shadow of a shade of claim upon Odalite. She will need not the slightest action of the law to free her from that incomplete ceremony begun in all-faith church. No, my dear, Odalite Force, as my brother-in-law has just said, is as free as either of her sisters. Burns has a wife and half a dozen children, more or less, living in the town of Angleton, and supported by the charity of Angus Anglesia. But who then, in the name of old Scratch, is this Burns Stukeley demanded the irrepressible Wynnette, my dear, wait until I tell your mamma. Burns Dukeley is a distant, very distant relation of Angus Anglesea, and yet the two distant cousins were, up to the age of twenty or thereabout, as much alike as twin brothers. They must each have inherited the form, features, and complexion of some common ancestor, but there all the resemblance between the men ended. For one inherited all the virtues of his progenitors, and the other all the vices. They were as opposite in character as they were alike in form. This resemblance lasted, as I said, lasted in its completeness, until the young men grew to be about twenty years of age, when the character of each began to impress itself upon his face, manner, and expression. Anglesia developed into a man of the highest and purest moral and intellectual excellence, and became a Christian gentleman and soldier. Stukely sank down to the level of the beasts, and below them, and became a bloated, brutalized criminal and sensualist. No one who has known both for the last twenty years could possibly mistake one for the other. Each has grown into the likeness of his spirit, and therefore they have grown far apart. "'I ought to have known he was an impostor. put in Wynnette. "'I don't mind other people being deceived in the fellow, but for me—me, me not to know—' THE MINUTE I SAW THE PORTRAIT OF THE REAL COLONEL ANGLESIA, THAT THE OTHER FELLOW WAS A FRAUD. THERE WERE MANY OTHER PEOPLE DECEIVED IN TIMES PAST BY THE EXACT RESEMBLANCE BETWEEN THE TWO MEN. IT WAS A SOURCE OF CONTINUAL EMBARRASSMENT TO THE ANGLESIAS OF ANGLEWOOD. THE FATHER OF ANGUS ANGLESIA PROCURED FOR YOUNG Stukely A MIDSHIPMAN'S WARRANT, AND GOT HIM SENT OFF TO ONE OF OUR MOST REMOTE NAVAL STATIONS, TO GET HIM OUT OF THE WAY AND GET RID OF HIM. HE WENT ON PRETTY WELL FOR A WHILE and he received much indulgence, too, for the sake of the benefactor behind him. But rectitude was not the fort of Bernstukely, and in the end he disgraced his patron and was dismissed the service. But how came he in the army? inquired Wynnette. He was never in the army. He was no more a colonel than he was in Anglesea, nor more a soldier than he was a gentleman. He was in the navy, as I said, and was kicked out of it. Lastly, he has turned up in the slave trade and the general piracy line of business as Captain Silver. Captain Silver, echoed every voice, except that of Force. Yes, my darlings, Captain Silver of the Argent, ostensibly blockade-runner only, subject only to the laws of war, to be held only as a prisoner of war, but really a slaver and a pirate, likely to be tried for his life and hanged for his crimes by this government." or if he should chance to escape conviction and execution here, where the punishment of crime is so very uncertain, still sure to be claimed by the British government, under the Extradition Act, and hanged by us, who you know will stand no nonsense from slavers and pirates. But now, my darlings, let us leave the subject of the villain, and turn to something pleasanter. Odalite, my dear, I congratulate you on your escape, and I hope when we go down to the Argent this afternoon we shall be able to bring Lieutenant Force back with us, Heaven grant it breathed odalite in a low and fervent voice. Where is Captain Grandiere? inquired mrs force. He has gone to look up his mate, young bayard, replied mr force. Oh, I hope he will bring Roland back with him, sighed rosemary, who was the frankest little creature in the world. I hope he may, said mr force. Come, let us go down to dinner, suggested the earl chapter sixteen. The old skipper's despair meanwhile captain grandiere having obtained his pass got into a crowded street car en route for the old capitol prison after toiling up the long hill on the north side of the capitol grounds the car turned into the east capitol street there the old skipper got off and inquired his way to the old capitol a large pile of brick buildings looking not unlike a warehouse but which in its time before the present beautiful edifice had been raised was used for the councils of the National Congress, and now was turned into a military prison. Captain Grandier found the place, though it looked very much like a Baltimore tobacco depot, and then went up to the main floor, at which a sentry stood on guard. He showed his pass, the sentinel scrutinized it, returned it to him, and let him in. He entered a broad passage with doors on either side, and a staircase in the midst. These doors were all closed, and a sentry stood at every one. "'I wish to see young Ro... Mr. Craven Cloud,' said the captain, correcting himself, one of the officers taken prisoner on the blockade-runner, Argent. The sentry to whom he addressed these words looked at his pass and said, laconically, "'Upstairs!' The old man climbed the stairs and found himself in an upper passage, with other doors on each side, and another staircase in the midst. These doors were also closed and guarded by sentries. "'I want to see Ro... Mr. Craven Cloud, one of the prisoners from the blockade-runner Argent, said the skipper, handing his pass to the nearest sentry, who looked at it, and answered shortly, Upstairs. The old man groaned, and slowly mounted the second flight of stairs, to find himself in a passage exactly like the one below, in all respect of doors, sentries, and a third staircase. The captain, panting from his long ascent, repeated his formula, and handed his pass, which was returned to him, with the answering formula. The old man, feeling fatigued and dizzy, began to ascend the third flight of stairs. When he reached the top he found himself in a passage precisely like those below, closed doors, armed sentries, and a fourth staircase, probably leading into the garret. I have been a sailor for sixty years, and hope to sail the seas for sixty more. Men have lived hale and hearty to extreme old age, and why not I, who never was drunk or ill in my life? "'But if I have to go up another flight of stairs, "'I shall be cut off in my prime,' said the captain to himself, "'as he leaned, puffing and blowing, "'against the freshly whitewashed wall. "'I feel just like the youth who bore through snow and ice "'a banner with a strange device, Excelsior, "'which must mean upstairs, "'and like him I shall drop dead at the top. "'Say, you, sir, I want to see Mr. Craven Cloud, "'who was taken prisoner from the blockade-runner Argent. "'Here's my permit,' said the old skipper." As soon as he could get his breath, handing his pass to one of the sentries room at the end, number fifty three, said the soldier returning the paper. Thank heaven that is a change for the better exclaimed the old man, trotting up the whole length of the passage to a board partition that seemed to have been temporarily put up across the end. A sentry stood before the door in this partition, and to him the skipper gave his pass. The sentry unlocked the door and admitted the visitor into the small room that had been partitioned off from the front end of the passage. The place was clean, fresh, and light, but had no furniture except one narrow iron bedstead with a mattress, a pillow, and a white spread as clean as the room. Extended on the mattress lay the young and handsome form of Roland Bayard, clothed only in his white shirt and gray trousers. His hands were clasped above his head, and his eyes were open and fixed on the ceiling. He started up on hearing the visitor enter. "'Roland! Roland!' "'My dear boy, Roland,' cried the old skipper, in a tremulous voice, while the tears started to his eyes. If the two had been French or German, they would have fallen into each other's arms. Being Americans of English descent, they only clasped hands a little more firmly than usual, gazed into each other's eyes earnestly for a moment, and then sat down on the side of the bed together in silence. The old skipper at length spoke. "'Roland, my dear, dear boy, how is this?' How is-what inquired the young man slowly and after a pause, speaking in a tone of pain in his hesitating voice and with a look of pain in his haggard eyes that could not be concealed. Oh, you know, dear lad, you know, you know what I mean. How is that I find you here as a prisoner instead of a free man? Why did you not tell Lee that you were a captive among the pirates, not a confederate of them? Lee could have corroborated your story, and you would have been brought home in honor, not in this way. "'Lee could have done nothing for me, under the circumstances,' replied the young man, in a tone so full of despair, that the old skipper looked at him in horror. "'Circumstances, Roland, what circumstances? "'That devil, Silver, told me he had persuaded you to join his band. "'But he never told the truth. "'Surely, surely, Roland, he never told the truth. "'You never joined the pirate crew? "'Why do I ask? "'Of course you never did, and never could,' said the captain, speaking with great assurance.' but looking anxiously into the face of his favorite for confirmation of his words. No such confirmation came. Roland put up his hand and covered his eyes. He could not bear to meet that anxious, eager gaze of his old friend. Roland, my dear lad, to what circumstances do you allude? Roland, for my sake, for all our sakes, for—for little Rosemary's sake, explain yourself. The young man kept his eyes covered and his head bowed, While his whole frame shook, as with an ague fit, the old skipper saw the effect of his words and repeated them. For little Rosemary's sake, dear lad. Don't, don't, wailed Roland. Don't, don't. I loved the child. Heaven knows how I loved her. She was always the dearest creature on earth to me. I loved her so much that I hope, in these three years of absence, in which she has grown from childhood to womanhood, I hope she has forgotten me. These last words were uttered in a wail of anguish. "'But she has not forgotten you, Roland. You are the larger part of her life. From the time I met her on the Asia, did I tell you that I came over on the same ship with Force and his party?' "'No. Captain Silver told me that he had set you ashore on the coast of England, not far from Penzance, and so I supposed that you had come home, but I did not know on what ship or in what company. Go on, you were talking about Rosemary.' "'We met by chance on board the Asia.' "'Of course there was great surprise on both sides. "'And of course I told them all about the capture of the kitty by the pirates. "'And the first question my niece asked was about you. "'And from this she has been in a state of continual anxiety about you, "'anxiety that has been much increased "'since she learned of the capture of the argent by the eagle. "'You told her I was with the pirates?' "'As a captive, yes, as a well-treated captive,' I was not likely to repeat to her a tale that I did not myself believe, about your having joined the crew," said the captain, indignantly. Roland again covered his face with his hands, and bowed his head. "'Boy, what am I to think of your silence?' demanded the old skipper, more in sorrow than in anger. "'Oh, my dear old captain, you will think as well of me as you can.' "'Are you Captain Silver's mate, yes or no?' "'I cannot tell you.' "'Roland, if you were the pirate's mate, you would be brave enough to avow it. "'If you were not, you would be sure to deny it. "'I do not understand your silence.' "'The young man did not attempt to explain, but sat with his elbows on his knees, "'and his head bowed upon his hands, in an attitude of despair. "'I will ask you one other question, perhaps you will answer it. "'Do you recognize in the pirate, Silver, the man whom you once knew as Angus Anglesea? "'Yes, I recognized him,' replied Roland wearily and he recognized you as the youth he was accustomed to see with the forces? Yes, he knew me at once. It must have been a strange meeting between you. It was. Tell me all about it, Roland, my lad. What did you say to him? What did he say to you when you first met? How did he account for having two characters and two names, eh? Tell me all about it, lad. I cannot. Believe me, I cannot. Oh, my old captain, my dear old captain, it rings my heart to refuse you. I would do anything to please you, but I cannot do this which you ask. "'I don't understand, I don't understand. I don't believe I shall ever understand,' exclaimed the perplexed captain, shaking his gray head. "'Perhaps you never will in this world, but I hope that you will in the world to come, when the secrets of all hearts shall be revealed. In the meantime, oh, judge me as charitably as you can,' pleaded Roland. "'Heaven knows that I wish to do so, my dear lad.' "'Perhaps you may answer me one more question, a last one. "'Why did you drop your lawful name of Roland Bayard "'and take another by which you are now known, Craven Cloud? "'You need not answer if you do not choose. "'I will tell you. "'The life of a blockade-runner. "'Blockade-runner be blowed!' angrily exclaimed the old skipper. "'Pirate, you mean. "'You can't blind me with blockade-runner, "'not after her taking the kitty. "'You can't. "'Pirate, lad, pirate. "'Just as you please.' THE LIFE I SAY ON SUCH A SHIP IS UNCERTAIN, DEATH OFTEN TRAGIC. I DID NOT WISH TO CARRY AN HONEST NAME THROUGH SUCH A LIFE, OR TO SUCH A DEATH. IN A WORD, IF THOSE WHO LOVED ME WERE DESTINED TO HEAR ONE CRAVEN CLOUD, BLOCKADE RUNNER, PIRATE, SLAVER, AS YOU PLEASE, HAD BEEN TAKEN AND HANGED, I DID NOT WISH THEM TO KNOW THAT I WAS THE MAN. I TOOK AN ALIAS, AND MADE IT CRAVEN CLOUD BECAUSE THE NAME SUITED THE CASE. THERE, THAT IS ALL. BUT, ROLAND, YOU ARE NO PIRATE, NO SLAVER. "'It is impossible that you should be,' exclaimed the old skipper, with the utmost confidence, yet still eagerly, prayerfully gazing into the troubled face of his young mate, for confirmation of those words. But still no such confirmation came. The door opened, and a soldier entered. "'Sorry,' he said, in a serio-comic spirit, in which some of the soldiers jested their cares away. "'Sorry to separate you, but the best of friends must part. Shutting up time has come, and the word is March.' "'Do you mean I must go?' inquired the old skipper. "'That's about the measure of it, Grandad. "'Good-bye, Roland, lad. Mind, I don't believe any ill of you, in spite of all. "'I shall come to see you again to-morrow, and bring Rosemary with me.' "'No, no, 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 do not bring her. I am parted from Rosemary forever. "'The sight of her would unman me,' cried the youth. "'Then what am I to say to her when I see her?' Say the best you can, the fairest, the most merciful you can, exclaimed Roland. The old skipper wrung the youth's hand and left the room. He returned to the hotel, but kept entirely out of the way of the forces. He had not the courage to meet Rosemary. End of chapter 16